I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together this morning um, as we draw near to him in hearing um, the words um, of, of uh, scripture. That uh, as we sang this song, the words heed them and hold them dear stood out for me afresh this morning. Um, I remembered um, the, the slogan of the Reformation uh, during the, the 1500s. The, the, the slogan was the Latin words post tenebras lux, which means after darkness, light. This was a recognition that the church had been in darkness because people did not have the scriptures in their languages. And so only the clergymen were able, even sometimes not even able to read from the Latin words. That's why we get the word, uh, you know, um, abracadabra, because they were trying to pronounce some words and they kept saying abracadabra until the magicians took that word. But we are so uh, privileged to have the word preached um, in a language that we understand. Amen? Amen. Let me take this time to welcome our visitors. I met Andres during the, the week. Uh, he's such a bubbly uh, man. <laughs> uh, and, uh, let me also welcome our brother there at the back. Uh, please do feel at home. Get to know them uh, even after, after church. We have been considering the gospel according to Mark and uh, we've been looking at uh, this gospel for several weeks now. It might be uh, maybe two months, if I'm not mistaken, or, or even more. Uh, it's probably more, right? Um, so we've been going through uh, this gospel, and we thank God for how he is speaking to us. Last week we looked at verse 30 up until verse 34 um, of chapter 6. This morning we look at verse 35 up until verse 44. Whenever we preach through a book and uh, you ask yourself, what is next week's passage going to be? Just look at the last passage preached and <laughs> that's the next sermon. Um, so Mark chapter 6 verse 35 to verse 44, we're looking at it under the subject Jesus more than sufficient. Jesus more than sufficient. Follow me as I read God's word. I read from the ESV. From verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves of bread do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all set, uh, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets 
full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 500, 5,000 men. This is God's word. Let us uh, pray. Indeed, Lord, it is your word, and we desire to honor you as you speak to us this morning. Open our ears, our spiritual ears, and uh, give us hearts to receive uh, joyfully uh, the word that you speak to us this morning. May you be uh, honored and glorified as we draw near to you. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. When we think of our great God, we often think of him in terms of grand, the great, and the glorious. After all, he is the, the God of creation. He, he, he stood in the middle of nothing, took nothing, and created everything. And that's big, isn't it? God is the God of revelation. He sent his perfect word through human instruments, giving us a perfect inspired record of his, human, of his words to man. On top of that, he has perfectly preserved that word to this very day. And that's big, isn't it? He is the God of salvation. God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to die for sin and for sinners. When Jesus went to the cross, he opened a way that, that, that all that come to Jesus at God's invitation will be saved. God even set it up so that those who came would have all their sins forgiven. They, they, they would be adopted into his family. And they would all go to heaven to live with him when they leave this world. Now, that's big, isn't it? There is no question that we serve a God who specializes in the spectacular, who majors in the miraculous, and who operates in omnipotence. That is to say, he operates in all power. But I would also point out that he is also Lord of the little. He is Lord of the little. He's a God who moves in big ways, but he's also a God who is able to take the small, insignificant things of this world and use them for his glory. The passage before us reveals the Lord of the little in action. As we watch Jesus feed the multitude, we need to remember that the one who accomplished this miracle is our Lord today. This is for those who just walked in, Mark chapter 6, from verse 35 to, to, to 44. Let's look on this special miracle today. Uh, by the way, it must have been very special. It, it is the only miracle of Jesus that is mentioned by all four Gospels. The, all, 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 the four, all the Gospel writers mention this very story. There, there is some help here that we do, we do not want to, to miss. And let me show you some examples from this text where Jesus proves that he is the Lord of the little. I will prove to you from, in, uh, by pointing out three different uh, ways he is, he is Lord of the little. First of all, he is the Lord of the little fears. Lord of the little fears. And we see this in verses 35 to verse 36. Look at those verses. And, 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 and when it grew late, Jesus came, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, 
This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding country villages, uh, countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. The, 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 the context here, we, we find the people have followed Jesus to the other side of the lake in verse 33. Remember? When they ran and arrived even before Jesus and his disciples, Jesus has spent the day teaching them, and the hour is growing late. This is probably the longest sermon that they ever had. He's preaching and time, and, and there's no conclusion. He's not saying in conclusion. He's, he keeps going, and the hour is growing late, as we see in verse 25. The disciples come to Jesus and interrupt his teaching, and they demand that he send the people away so that they can find food to eat, in verse 36. These men are afraid that the people will not be able to find any food to eat if the hour grows any later. And evidently, they are tired and hungry themselves, and, and they assume that the people must be, must be hungry as well. After all, the crowds had followed Jesus as soon as he left the other side of the lake, and they had not taken time to pack any food for the trip. Now, they are 16 kilometers away from home. They are in a de deserted location. They are in a place where no food is to be found. The disciples say, Lord, you've preached long enough. They dismiss the service and let these people go find some food. The disciples are filled with doubt and fear if you read the passage. If Jesus keeps this up, none of, of them are going to get a little bite to eat. So they go to him expressing their doubts and their fears. Let me ask you a few questions today. Do you ever look at the situation you face in life and become afraid and full of doubt? Do you look at a lost member of the family and wonder if they will ever be saved? Do you ever look at a physical need in your life and wonder if it will all be all right or if it will, all, if it will lead to something worse? Are you afraid of ever opening your emails or, or, or letterbox if there are such things these days uh, because it might contain another bill? Are you ever afraid to answer the phone because it might be a debt collector? Do you ever look at the condition of the world and become afraid, wondering how it will all turn out? What I'm asking is this. Do you ever have fears? Do you ever have fears? Well, we all do, don't we? Being afraid of the unknown is part of living in this world. Having doubts and, and concerns is nothing to be ashamed of. It is something we all deal with. The, the, the problem arises when we become like the disciples. They were in the presence of the Lord of glory, but they didn't believe that he could handle the situation. To their eyes, it looked impossible. They, they were not coming to Jesus in faith. They were coming to him in fear. They were saying in, 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 in many words, Lord, this problem is greater than you are. We, we don't think you can handle it. You, you had better send these folks away or, or we are all going to be in trouble. You may have never said these words yourself, but you and I have acted in the same manner. We fret and we worry over problems and we are 
filled with doubts concerning the Lord's ability to solve them. Instead of coming to Jesus with a heart that says to him, Lord, I believe in you. I, I know this is a big problem to, to me, but it is nothing to you. Instead of drawing to the Lord with such faith, we carry our problems around and allow them to drain the spiritual life right out of us. I'll just remind you that all worry is sin. To, 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 to worry is to say about God that you can't do anything about my situation. As I said, I, I, I'm not asking, asking this question, and you've, you've probably heard it before. When you look at the word of God and the testimony of God's dealing with these people from the Old Testament even uh, up until the New Testament, you see, even especially uh, uh, that is celebrated in the Psalms by the psalmist, right? The faithfulness of God. You see him faithful at all times. Even when people are faithless, even when they sin against him and turn and rebel and, and do all, all, all those kind of things, we see him remaining faithful, right? Now, with, with that clean record of faithfulness, Will God start with you by being unfaithful? I would also remind you that the Lord has commanded us to trust in him in the times of fear and to refuse to allow a worry in our lives. Remember uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, uh, that says, uh, uh, um, do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication through thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And, and what this verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Just imagine that, brothers and sisters. The peace of God guarding your heart. The Bible doesn't say that your walk with God in this world will be a bed of roses. There will be trouble that comes. There will be trial that comes. There will be difficulty that comes. There will be pain that comes. But in the midst of that, we should commit ourselves and we do commit ourselves and trust in him by prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. The peace of God guards our hearts in Christ Jesus. Our Savior is the Lord of little things. And now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, you don't know my feelings. They are not little. They are huge. They are gigantic. They are impossible. They are anything but little. Well, that is the same attitude the ten spies had when they went into Canaan and saw the giants there. They spied out the land, remember? They see a land that is fruitful, things that they had never seen before. But they see these giants, man, walking that land. And they come back with sweat, not sweat from the sun, but sweat from fear. <laughs> they are moved and shaken. And they discourage the people and say, we saw the land, it is fruitful. But man, you should see the people there. It was the attitude of saying, 
I don't care who God is. He isn't that big. We treat God as if he was some village God. Let me explain that. Sometimes, I think I've said this a couple of times, when I speak about a village God, I'm not saying a, a God, a God that does not belong in the village. By that I mean that God, we, we shouldn't think of God being confined to a certain place, right? We, we should think of God in the same way that the Bible reveals him to us, as an omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, all-present, present everywhere at the same time equally. We should think of a big sovereign God who holds the world by the power of his word. We should think of a God who sits high and lifted up, who is on the throne and who controls all the affairs of the world. We should think of such a God. And amazingly, such a God who has created the universe, created the world out of nothing, ex nihilo, if he, if he created the world like that, he is our father. Imagine that. Imagine that. Brothers and sisters, we don't have a village God. A God who is confined by territories, by jurisdictions, by borders and lands. We have a God who is in control over everything. Regardless of the fears you have today, they are little when they are placed next to the Lord. If he can create the universe out of nothing, surely he can meet your need. If he can keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace, he can take care of you. If he can secure Daniel in the lion's den, he can take care of you. If he can feed three million Jews in the desert for 40 years, he can take care of you. If he can defeat sin, death, and hell, the grave, and Satan using an old rugged cross and, 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 and break away from an empty tomb, he can take care of of you. He can save you from your sins and he can take care of you. You can bank on that. You can bank on that. I'm sorry to the sound guys. I just get a little animated. Whatever you fear today, bring it to him and leave it in his hand. He is more than able to take care of you. More than able. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Doesn't it tell us that he's able to do far more exceedingly above all that we ask or think by the power that is at work in us? He is God. Sometimes we just need to hear that sentence. He is God. Be still and know that I am God. Right? When all around you is falling apart, when things are not going well, he is God. That is enough to calm a raging storm in our hearts. Storm of worry and anxiety, fear, doubt. He is God. Jesus is Lord of the little, even little fears. Not only that, 
verse 37 to verse 38, we see that he is Lord of little faith. He is Lord of little faith. Verse 37 to verse 38. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And he said to them, shall we go? They, they, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to uh, them to eat? He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. When Jesus hears the fears of this man, he well says, well, you feed them. He's using a direct order here. He's saying, if they are hungry, give them something to eat. And this command is immediately met with an expression of absolute unbelief. From John's gospel, we know it is Philip who speaks here. He's the one who is speaking. John chapter 6 verse 7 tells us, um, he says to Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. A, a denarii was a, 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 a day's wage for the average worker. It would, have, it would have taken the average worker eight months to earn the amount of money Philip is talking about here. In modern terms, it is about 100,000 rands. It was more money than they had and more money than they could ever hope to collect on short notice. Philip is saying, Lord, even if we had 100,000, we couldn't satisfy all these people. We couldn't even give them all a taste. It is impossible. Jesus said, feed them. The disciple answered and said, we can't. We, 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 we don't have the resources. This is a problem that cannot be solved, Lord. Uh, these men considered their problem and they summed it up as an insurmountable problem. In their eyes, they were facing an impossible challenge. It didn't matter that they had already seen Jesus turn water into wine, heal lepers, cast out legions of demons, calm violent storms, heal people with incurable diseases, and raise the dead. It didn't matter that he had, he had proven himself to them more times than they could ever probably remember. All that mattered at the moment was the obstacle they saw before their eyes. They looked at the need and they said, we can't. We don't believe that you can either. That's little faith, brothers and sisters. It doesn't take great faith to get big answers from the hand of the Lord. Co consider the following. Truth in the, in the word. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Truly, Jesus is saying this. I say to you, if your faith like a little grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible. Remember the, the, the father of the demon-possessed child? Jesus saying to him, if you, if you can't, if you can, I mean, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Brothers and sisters, little faith is still faith. It is still faith. God will honor little faith. He's the Lord of little faith, of, of, of little faith, but he can do nothing with, with unbelief. James chapter 1, verse 7 to 6, uh, 6 to 7, it says, The one who, who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
You see, when we act like the disciples and look at the problem instead of the problem solver, we can expect nothing but failure. However, when we believe God, even for the impossible, we will see him do the incredible, uh, 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 incredible things time after time. Remember Gideon and his army of 300 men. How God, you know, you know kept decreasing the army and he used 300 men so that the glory will come to him and they would not say we we are we have military uh, brilliance we you know we, we we are skilled jesus is the lord of the little even little faith now not only that not only is he lord of little fears and lot of little lot of little uh, faith lastly uh, as we see in the sermon, he's Lord of little food. Verse 39 to verse 44. Now, just to give you context of this, after their display of faithlessness, Jesus asks his men how much food they have. He tells them to go and find out in verse 38. He, we know that John's account, from, from John's account, that all the food was available in the vast crowd from a small uh, you know, lunchbox from a young boy. You know how uh, you know, uh, mothers are always proactive. When they know that the day is going to be long, they take a small scarf for their child. The loaves were not big. Uh, they, 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 they went, um, it says he had five loaves and two fish. The, the, they were not big. They were, uh, you know, long, they were not long loaves of bread. Rather, they were small rounded pieces of flat bread about the same size of almost a quarter. You know a quarter, sparkle, um, a quarter of a bread. Uh, 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 subtitles will be given after church. Uh, <coughs> they were small. The, the, the fish were not big either. They, they, they were the salted fish from the, uh, people of that, the, 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 the people of that area ate. They were about the size of sardines. They were, uh, when they returned with that small amount, the disciples this time, uh, it is Andrew who speaks. He expresses even more doubt. He says, what are they for so many? And this we see in John chapter 6 verse 9. Uh, these guys have uh, sized up the crowd and the provisions and they uh, uh, decided that there they just isn't enough to go around. And, and from a human perspective, they are right, aren't they? They're right. Watch, watch the text again. Jesus doesn't even flinch. Right? In verse 39, he commands the people to sit down in groups. The, this word literally means in rows, like vegetables in a garden. Jesus has, has the people sit down in orderly rows. There are colorful garments making them look like a garden in bloom. That little tidbit, obviously, doesn't add much to our understanding of the text. But it does remind us that our God is a God of order, doesn't it? Then Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish. He lifts his face toward heaven and he blesses the food. By the way, Jesus is not upset that the provisions are meager. He is not bothered by the small amount of food, is he? He, he took what was given to him and began to break it. The words break and gave are very important in this text when you read it from the Greek. They indicate that he kept 
on breaking and he kept on giving. In other words, Jesus took uh, those little bread and sardines, uh, those that little bread and sardines, and they were multiplied in his hands. He just kept on breaking them and giving them to the disciples, and the uh, and the loaves and the fish kept on multiplying. Jesus exercised creative power here to accomplish this miracle, to to, to feed five thousand men plus women and children. Uh, when you look in uh, uh, the text, it would have acquired, uh, required him to empty their baskets and return to Jesus for fields. They, they kept going and kept coming and refilling and Jesus was breaking and giving them, breaking and giving. Every time they came back, they probably expected to find that Jesus had run out of food, but he never did. He kept breaking and giving until every person in the crowd had no more desire for food. And, and when the disciples took of the loaves, the leftovers, there were 12 baskets full. The, 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 the funny thing in the text, 12 for every doubting disciple. What I'm trying to get to today is for you to see that our Lord is more than enough. He can take care of you, take the little and give him and he will do miracles with it. That mother who packed that little lunch that day had no idea that it will be used to feed as many as 20,000 people. Jesus took, uh, just took uh, what was available and multiplied it for his glory. When we give what we have to him, he will amaze us with what he can do with it. When, when, when the situation is worse, and uh, as we see, the, the question from Jesus, as he asked them, when you read John chapter 6, verse 5, he says, how are we going to handle this? There were four responses to that question. First of all, the response could be like this. Let's get rid of the problem. We see that in, in Mark chapter 6, right? Verse 35 and 36, and Matthew chapter 15, 23. Or, secondly, let's raise more money. John chapter 6, verse 7. Thirdly, they could say we have a little, but it will never be enough. We see that in John chapter 6, verse 5. Chapter 4, and I mean, number 4, they could respond by saying, let Jesus have it. Let Jesus have it. You see, if you, you, you can ever learn to bring your little to Jesus and let him have it, he can use it in a great way for his glory. Bring your little faith to him and watch him move mountains. Bring your little testimony and watch him save souls. Bring your little praise and watch him get glory. Bring your little abilities and watch him uh, use you. He, he specializes in using the, the simple uh, thing to amaze men and to reveal his glory. Remember how Paul reminds the Philippians that you guys are not coming from royalty. You're not coming from great backgrounds. Jesus Christ uses you so that he gets the glory. Jesus chooses the weakest team to beat the team that says I am strong so that he at the end of the day will get the glory. He uses the letter. He used the cry of a little baby to bring peace to Abraham. He used a little stick in the hand of Moses to part the Red Sea and deliver his people 
from Pharaoh. He used a little boy named David who slung a little stone to remove a big giant. He used a little piece of bread called manna to feed his people for 40 years. He used a little leather mantle to part the Jordan River for Elijah and Elisha. He used a little widow with a little meal and a little oil to take care of the man of God. He used a little girl named Mary to, to bring a little baby into the world who will grow up and die on a little cross, on a little hill in a country called Israel, but in his death he would provide salvation to all who receive him. Who knows what he will do with your little, if you can just get it into his hands. Do you have something little that you need to bring to the master today? Bring your little and watch him transform it into a lot. That is his specialty. Let us make one thing clear today. Jesus could have fed the multitude with nothing. Couldn't he? he could have made bread and fish uh, float down from the clouds on, on, on purple parachutes if he wanted to. He chose to use what was given to him for his glory. Bring your little and place it in the hands of Jesus today. He will take it and use it in ways you could never imagine. Bring your little talents and abilities and watch him use you. Bring your little gifts and watch him multiply them for his glory. Bring your little self and watch him use you. God specializes in taking the frail clay bodies and using them for his glory. Some liberal theologians have looked at this passage and they have determined that it, is just, it, it just could not have happened like the Bible says. After all, it is impossible. One liberal commentator says that it was an optical illusion. It just appeared that the loaves and fishes uh, were multiplied. Well, if you think about it, optical illusions don't feed 20,000 people, do they? Another one says that the people saw the little boy giving his lunch to Jesus, and they were all moved with compassion, and they also took out their lunches, and they, there was enough for all and some left over. <laughs> Why can't people take the Bible at face value? Jesus is the Lord of the little. He, he took a little and made a lot out of it. He's still doing that even today. If you have a little situation, you need to bring it to him. If you are lost and need to be saved, he will save you if you will come to him and ask him. If you have walked away from him, he will restore you to a place of fellowship with him. If you will come and ask him, he can multiply your loaves and fishes if you will just put them in his hand. He will use you in ways you never imagined if you only give him your letter. The whole point of this miracle was not uh, to feed the multitude, obviously. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not about the two fish and, 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 and loaves. The whole point was to teach those lame-brained, thick-headed disciples that Jesus was more than sufficient for every circumstance in life. He is more than sufficient to save you. He is more than sufficient to forgive you. He is more than sufficient to, give, to, to take your little and give you a lot in return. He is more than sufficient to, 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 to keep you and to hold you fast. Come to him right now and put your little in his hands. He is the Lord of the little, the sufficient one. Let us pray.
And dear Lord, I commit this little sermon to you that you will do great wonders with it in our hearts. You will move us, shape us, transform us, lead us in ways that please and honor you. We want to give you glory today. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.